There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week, we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to someone who's helped shape the city. This week, I'm joined by Paul Arthurs, a.k.a. Bornhead, from Oasis. He's going to tell us about the time he nearly became a member of the clergy. He was lined up for being a priest. God, did you meet the bishop? I was out to meet him. I kissed his ring. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll also get to hear about how he felt when Noel Gallagher first sat and played him some of the band's biggest songs for the first time. He sat and he played Champagne Supernova. I just burst into tears. I was like, you know, bottom lip going. It's like... <laughs> Everyone was looking at you, dick. What are you crying for? You know, I was just like, oh, it's just too much. It's beautiful. But as always, let's start at the beginning. I was born in June 1965. I was born in St. Mary's Hospital, just a mile out of town here. I lived in Longsight. I lived in Longsight till I was about, I think it was about nine years of age. And then we moved up to Levenjum. We went posh, or I thought we went posh. Anyway, we moved to Levenjum. It was just like, wow, you know, moved up in the world. And that's where I stayed. Uh, living in Levenjum up until I was about, I don't know, sort of early 20s. Yeah. Give us a picture of your, your sort of childhood and working class family, I assume. Very working class, yeah. Irish parents, Irish background, you know, like like the majority of the, the people I grew up with, you know, we all sort of had uh, Irish Irish parents, grandparents and whatnot. Uh, yeah, very working class. Mum stayed in being a school mum, you know, yeah. looking after the kids, doing what she did, cooking meals. And my dad went out to work, he worked in demolition. And uh, yeah, no, but it was good. You know, it wasn't wasn't a hard life. It wasn't you know we weren't skint and we weren't poor, mm-hmm. but very very working class. When you think back to it, do you see some of it in black and white? Yeah, I do. Yeah, mind, yeah. I do. Yeah, big time. Especially the the period living in Longsight up until I was about nine. I think it was probably nine ten. That that is real black and white. That's it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, I mean totally. I'm, I'm on about as in black and white. You know, monotone yeah. colours. I think a lot of it is because you still. Well, I still get to see pictures of my childhood, and most of them are black and white. And I think that's why my memories of that that time are always black and white. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah, I'm the same. When we, as a family, we we never grew up with photographs. Not like now. You know, it's like eight thousand photos per week being taken on your phone system. Yeah. But we never took. There was no pictures of the kids together or whatever. It was like maybe once a year we'd get the photographer in. I don't know where they found him, who he was, but everyone got the family photo took. And then there was maybe the odd picture of my dad and a couple of his mates having a beer outside the pub. That photographer, they probably brought him in on what they used to call Whitsuntide. Do you remember that? Yeah. Whitsunday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was an altar boy, you see. All right, okay. That was one thing. Hated it. Yeah. I had, had a choice. Like You can either be in the Boy Scouts or an altar boy. Because my mum had secret ambitions that I was going to grow up and become a priest. That was her thing, and I was like, oh, what? You know, really holy Irish Catholics, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, God, 
you know, she's got me geared up to be a priest. And that was her thing. And the plan was that when she died, I was going to be the priest that buried her. Oh, you know, right. I was like, oh, for God's so sake, you're putting that on me. It's like so she's after a cheap torture. funeral. Yeah, cheap funerals, you know. It's like, like I say, we, we, we weren't that poor. But, uh, I'll tell yeah, you what, though, you, dead weird. You'd make a brilliant priest now, the way that you, you are, you know, you, you, you spirit the way you look as I well. I reckon I could have done it, you, you know, done once, it, once the hair went. You can bury me, bury me if you yeah, want. When yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. When I'm dead, not yet. I'll do that. <laughs> Hated it. But there was, there was one thing, there was like the Holy Name Church, and it's still there in All Saints down near the museum. Huge, big cathedral-like church. It's a great church. <clears throat> I don't know what he's in aid of, but the bishop used to come and say this big mass and every parish from Manchester. So every priest, every altar boy, every parishioner, they'd pack this. It was like Nebworth, you know, for Catholics. <laughs> they'd all turn up. It'd be mobbed. He'd say this big mass. I don't know. He's in aid of something holy. So we were just like, yeah, all right, we've got to do this. And we'd all get on the bus and go down and do it. And my mum was dead proud and everything. She didn't. She didn't come to it for some reason she couldn't make it so what what we had to do at the end of it the bishop had stand there and he was like he was like jesus christ or something but he had this on the, on his third finger there his middle finger he had this massive massive big red ruby ring and everyone had to sort of line up and we'd all walk up all the priests and all the boys and we had to kiss it so what you'd do and he'd bless you you'd be like, oh, bless you son bless you and oh, bless you and you'd be mumbling away the <laughs> organ was playing in the background it's spooky as fuck really you know what i mean <laughs> terrified us but we had to go up there and what you had to do, you had to, you had to kiss his ring and we were like, oh my God, you know, what do you mean? you got to kiss it. It's like, kiss it. It's like, yeah, you, you give it a little kiss and away you go. No tongues. No tongues, no, no tonguing. So it's all right, we did it. We all queued up like, oh, fucking hell. And you're like, <laughs> wiping your lips like, oh, fucking hell. That was horrible. But anyway, we got home. My mum was like, how did it go? Did you meet the bishop? I was like, I did meet him. I was like, I kissed his ring. <laughs> <laughs> but all my brothers and sisters, you know, it's like some out of viz, all like, <laughs> <laughs> you did what? I'm like, I kissed the bishop's ring. Jeez, like, it is lovely. And she's telling all the mates, didn't Paul go to mass last night? Guess what he did? I'm like, what? He kissed the bishop's ring. <laughs> you can see all these, you know, all the, all the kids laughing their heads off. I'm like, what are you laughing at? Didn't you only kiss the bishop's ring? I hope you didn't lick it. Was, oh, no, you know, it was all that. But they didn't get it. They thought it was the best thing I'd ever done. Did you, I mean, a bit of a personal question, but I was brought up in a Catholic church and uh, born six years older than you. And we were that generation that used to get strapped a lot, or the slipper they used to call it, you know, yeah. plimps all across yeah. your ass. Did you get that? Did you get the... At uh, school? Yeah, yeah. Battered. Yeah. No, seriously, battered. I mean, right up through secondary school, you know, you know like 14, 15 years of age, I, I saw kids, we had, we had one um, physics teacher, I don't know if he's still alive, Mr. Singleton. Yeah. I went to school up in Presswich, at grammar school. We called him Isaiah because he had one one eye was there and the other eye was up on his forehead, you know. <laughs> one eye's higher yeah, than the other. Pro- yeah, probably, so we called him Isaiah. <laughs> and if you heard anyone say it, he'd kill him. But I remember coming downstairs one day in school, so you know, in between classes, and he had one lad by the throat and he was punching him. I mean, proper yeah. punching him. But everyone was just like, whoa, you know, yeah. hang on a minute. So he'd swerved that, went to the next lesson. And that was it, nothing said. Talking of nicknames, who came up with Bornhead for you? Do you know what? That must have been... Probably about re- early 70s, about, it was about eight, about 1973. Yeah. Everyone, you, you know, you can imagine everyone, it was all long hair was a thing. And uh, my dad and my mum were just having none of it. It was short back and sides, you know, that was it. <clears throat> Proper Irish haircut. Yeah. And uh, they wouldn't let me have it. So it wasn't because I was bald when I was eight. It's because uh, I had this short back and sides haircut and everyone else was dead long. Yeah. And everyone just called me bonehead, you know, I'd come in. As soon as it started going over my ears, that'd be it. Get in, get in you get the haircut now. Short back and sides. And they'd be like, oh, Christ. So I'd get it cut and I'd come into school on a Monday with this dead short haircut cropped off. And they'd just be like, oh, bonehead, look at a bonehead. And that was it. 
and it stuck. Even even the headmaster at school, every teacher called me Bonehead forever. I mean, it was only my mum and dad throughout my life, really, that called me Paul. So it's been, it's been there forever. You mentioned your dad was a demolition man. Did you ever go to work with him and watch? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was when I got into sort of teenage years. They had like a big quarry up in, is it Mosley up near? That's right, yeah. You know, yeah, that yeah, yeah, big, yeah, big quarry there. It's gone now. And that's where they kept all the scrap iron and steel and girders or whatever they had. Yeah. And just like a couple of lunatic Irishmen who used to just sort of live in this hut up there, sort of selling scrap metal for the company. And I, I used to go up there and paint the cabin and sweep up and stuff, you know, and I'd get... 20 quid or something for the week. It's great. I used to love it. So yeah. I grew up in Oldham. Um, you you mentioned like Levin Hume and Burnage ultimately. Growing up in the shadow of that big city, that big metropolis that was just down the street, what are your earliest memories of uh, discovering the city of Manchester and having a mooch down there on a Saturday morning maybe? Well, I see, I wasn't, I wasn't never really familiar with town. Go, a day out in town with my parents was just, didn't exist. We didn't, we didn't go into town ever. You know, it's like, mm. my dad had work. Monday to Friday, and he'd, he'd, he'd referee local Sunday league football teams and Saturday league football teams up until he was like 77, you know, before he died, he refereed, he was just obsessed with football. Yeah. So his weekends were generally taken up with football, and that was it. Um, so my mum, no, we never went to town, so I was never familiar with Manchester as a town, you know, it's, I bet it was like twice a year we'd go and we really young. Yeah, You're talking so, like three or four miles you lived yeah, from it. Yeah, we were just there, but that wasn't it. You know, town was, Levenjum town was long sight to us. Yeah. You know, Dickinson Road Market was town. That yeah. was our town. But um, it wasn't until a, a, a past me 11 plus, somehow, you know, with no sort of pushing or input from my parents, it was just like somehow I passed me 11 plus. I think it was the only person in our area who did. And uh, so obviously I got a choice to go to grammar school. My first choice was St. Greg's in Hardwick where Mike Joyce went to. I didn't get it. I think it was full and it was like, oh, you, you didn't get it. So my second choice was just like, oh, what should we do? Anything, put that one down. It was just St. Peter's Grammar School in Presswich, opposite Eaton Park. So it's like, right, you go on St. Peter's and it was like, when it was 11. So it's two bus rides in. I had to get a bus from Levenjum, we were living then, into Manchester to Piccadilly. Then I had to leg it from Piccadilly right down Market Street, right down to the CIS building, get on the number 35, <laughs> jump on that all the way through Cheetah Mill, Crumpsall and stuff. So that's how I got to know town yeah. from sort of the age of 11. And I got to know it on my own, really, because there was only me from our area on the bus. So I used to go to town, but then obviously you'd, you'd get the bus back from school. You'd get off at Albert Square. And I'd dick about them for an hour, just sort of wandering around town and sort of you know discovering it. Then that's how I first... That's my first memories of Manchester as a, mm. I say, a town, as a city. It was like, wow, look at this place. The town hall, we used to get off there, like, 35 what about bus. Yeah. About that time then, as a teenager, where did you hang out, you know, to get up to mischief or to party or to go for a underage drink or whatever? Where did you, what well, kind of place did you Probably started drinking about 16, you know. There's, there's no asking for ID, no nothing. There was always a couple of pubs and there was millions of pubs in Levendume. And there was always out of... There was loads of pubs. There was always like four or five when you knew the landlord was not going to ask you your age. They didn't care. And you drink. So we were all in the pubs at 16. I mean, before that, it was on the streets. You know, we were running around like packs of dogs. There was no word of doing your homework. It was just like, eat your tea, right? Get out, you know, until it's ready to come in. Yeah. Everyone, there was gangs of us to be out. You know, we used to play on the railway, for God's sake. We did that as well. We yeah. did. Ridiculous. But you know, we, we used to, there was a big, I don't know if it's still there, big depot. For, for the rail companies in, in Longsight. Yeah. We used to get on the railway at Albert Road at the train station in Levenjum. We used to walk down the railway to uh, Longsight to the depot. 
And they used to have these boxes of detonators. I don't know if you ever saw them little round. Oh detonators. yeah, we used to blow them. What we used to no, that's what we used to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Throw bricks on them. Yeah, throwing bricks. We used, used to, to yeah. where we lived. We were the mile. We were about a mile from the end, a dead end, dead end of a railway line in Rowton. Yeah. And uh, there was a little guy that sat in a little shed at the side of the train tracks. And his job was when there was a train due, he'd go and put a detonator that's on it, the yeah. track. And then if the driver of the train forgot that it was a mile to the end of the line, he'd hear this explosion. Yeah, blow up. So he'd watch the guy put them on the track, and then when he went back in his little box for a cigarette, we'd go and that's un- exact, undo them. That's exactly what we did. And then we'd put did. them on bricks, smash yeah. them until they blew up. Yeah, so we used, we used to play out with detonators, same as you. If you're young and you listen to this, don't ever try that because it is, it's deadly, and we nearly died. Oh, how do we I do that, my, yeah. I hope my mother never hears <laughs> this. But that, that, that was our route into town then a few <laughs> years later, you know. It's like you, you either get the bus or you walk to town. The quickest route into town was just walk down the train tracks. Right? Wow. wow. Great. Different time, don't do it? this, kids. What's your earliest memories of meeting the Gallaghers for the first time? I can't, I, I couldn't pinpoint the first time. I mean, where, where I lived in Levenjum was like borders burnage, you know, and everybody knew everybody. You just know everyone's face in the pubs or wherever, or just on the street, you know, everyone's out on the street hanging out. So I, I was familiar with Liam as this kid who, you know, just hang out with kids that I knew on the street or wherever you'd see him walking about. Like, I wouldn't remember the first time. Noel, again, the same thing, but then... Obviously, me and Noel being a bit older, we'd, we would go into town or we'd go into pubs in Levenjim or wherever. And I'd see Noel hanging out, so I'd sort of get to know him there. So I, I don't know, I was probably about 19, yeah. something like that, yeah. And about yeah. that time, you, you were working as a plasterer, weren't you? When you got out of school, you started working as a plasterer. Yeah. Painter and decorator. And you had a van. I had a van. The Bone Mobile. The Bone Mobile, yeah, it was great. That. There's a great photograph, um, I assume it's one of yours, but... You went to Spike Island in it. Yeah. Griggs did it up, did he? He painted it. It had like this detachable. It was a Mazda, an old Mazda. It was great. It had a column steering uh, gear stick on it. Stick shift. I, I paid 150 quid for it. I remember it. it. It was a proper old. It was like, you know, what the Taliban drive, you know, one of them. <laughs> yeah. It was a great one. It was really good, proper old school Mazda pickup. Yeah. But it came with this detachable fiberglass roof for when it rained so your plaster didn't get wet. But which I never used. I used to keep it in a lockup. Anyway, of course, the Roses were doing Spike Island. There must have been about 28 of us were going to sleep the night in the back of this pickup. So we needed a roof. So I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll put the roof on. And I came home about a week before the Roses gig. And uh, my dad was going berserk, man. He's like, what have you done with your fucking van? And they're looking to the shit, showing me up. And the neighbours are looking at it. And I'm like, what, what's up with you? I went around the corner and my van's like this Jackson Pollock painting. You know, it's just like red, blue, orange, gold, white, splashes of paint all over it. I thought it looked pretty cool, but it's yeah. like, what, what's going on with that? Anyway, Gwigs, Gwigs, uh, saw Gwigs that night, and he's like, oh, bonehead, man, I've got some washing up liquid bottles and put paint in it, and I did a roses on it, didn't I? It looked top, that. And I was like, yeah, but you go and tell me dad that, and the neighbours are all kicking right off. You're going to have to paint it black. He never did. And off you went to Spike Island. And we at this did. point, you didn't have a band, did you? No. I mean, and that, was that one of the seeds of the, the, the beginning of what became the rain? Was that? No, do you know, uh, <clears throat> did the rain exist then? I don't think the rain did, actually. No. 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 But it, it just... must have left you with a bit of a taste. Because when I first met you, you were a plaster. You weren't in a band as such, I don't think. But you were playing guitar. You, you, you were... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, always. I mean, I, I, I played, I always played guitar. Mm. Just playing guitar, you know, in the bedroom, whatever. But I played keyboards. And that was like the sort of mid-80s. Upwards, I was in the band with my brother. I was on keyboards, he was on guitar. We were rubbish. We were called, uh, we started off, we were called the Sensual Crocodiles, which I thought was a great name. We had a t shirt with this pink crocodile on it with a cravat, smoking, <laughs> smoking a cigarette with a pair of shades on it. It was really cool. But everyone was just like, ah, shit name, that, mate. You know, you're going to have to change that. So we changed it to The Pleasure in Pain, 
which is even worse, you know. Going back to Spike Island, I mean, if you say that inspired me, I think it was, I was inspired before that by the Roses, yeah. watching the Roses. You know, used to, every time, they, you know, they were like the, the resident band at the International, weren't they? Yeah. Used to, every time they played, it'd be there. It's highly inspired then, you know. So how did Oasis start? Where and when did Oasis become a thing? Oasis became a thing. Well, obviously, we we started the rain. Me, Gwigs, Chris, a singer, and uh, we had a drum machine. We didn't have a drummer. It wasn't even a drum machine, I think. it was. I had a little Casio keyboard with, you know, a little... had about four different beats that you could speed up and down, yeah. That's what we had before Tony joined. But no, it sort of wasn't going anywhere. It was more a bit of fun, you know, in the garage or... But uh, no, it started, someone introduced us to Liam as, well, I knew Liam was, but someone just said, you know, he really wants to sing. And, you know, I didn't know he was a singer. I don't think he knew he was a singer. He just really wanted to do it. Mm. Being inspired like I was, you know, from watching bands like The Roses and whatever. So it, it, it's just a case of, I think it was one night, just invited Liam round to mine, you yeah. know, and uh, <clears throat> getting the acoustic guitar out. And, and this uh, is while Noel was on the road Noel with Noel was on the road with you, yeah. So he sort of, he wasn't aware of any of this. I was I was with him when he found out that Liam had joined the band. Right. And he was uh, not livid, he was surprised. He was completely, because he heard the news off Peggy, didn't he, his mum, that Liam had joined the band. He's like, he's fucking what? Well, I'm sure he was, because when <laughs> when I was told that, you know, because we were like, you know, we we need another singer. Liam's, Liam's, Liam will do it. I was surprised. I know he was the cool kid on the block, for sure, you know. Yeah. It was like, yeah, all right, yeah, Liam Gallagher, yeah, he, he looks apart, we know yeah. that. Oh, but, beautiful, wasn't he? Yeah, but it's like... Is he a singer? It was quiet, wasn't he? Yeah, I, I, you know, I thought, I thought, I thought Liam was more into hip hop and you know tagging his name on brick walls around yeah. the area, which he did. You know, he liked a bit of bit of hip hop. Didn't you, Liam? He told me not to slate him today, <laughs> but I'm, it's all going to come out. I've said to him, I remember my first memories of Liam because Noel was working with us, and his little brother and yourselves used to come along to gigs, and Liam would sit in the corner of the dressing room, dead quiet, mm. dead polite. Yeah, and uh, look at him now. He was, take, he was taking it all in, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You've told me on several occasions over the years about moments where you've you've sat and cried at the beauty of the music that's been put in front of you, you know, by Noel with his, his songwriting, you know, yeah. the new song. And um, it's a pretty nice image. Tell us about some of those moments. <laughs> it wasn't like a burst into tears every time he brought a new song in. But, you know, I've had a few moments of disbelief. We'd be in the boardwalk in that rehearsal space that you well know, you know. And we just, once Noel had sort of joined, he just... He just brought these songs in immediately. You know, he's just like, oh, here's one. It's called Live Forever. He initially came down to jam with us. We're like, yeah, cool. You know, he's got a few songs. And we all, Liam knew, obviously, that he'd, he wrote songs and he played guitar, as I did. But I'd never heard his songs. And he brought them in, you know, and he, he, was, he was going, oh, this one's called, like, Live Forever. And we we're like, wow. All right. He'd come in one day and say, well, what do you think of this one? And he'd, he'd play all around the world, full nine minutes of it from start to finish. And that was like, it wasn't a tear-jerking moment, but it was certainly a moment of disbelief. And I was I was always like, I never doubted him as a songwriter, but, you know, when someone brings something like that in, with the balls to give you a full nine minutes and go, mm. what do you reckon? It's great, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Where, Where's that come from? I was just like, you didn't write that. And he's like, <laughs> of course, I was like, no, you, you never you never wrote that. Where have you got it? And it's like, so, yeah, moments of disbelief. One time we've been on tour. I mean, we were, all, we were never off tour. As a band, you know, once we got going, that was us, and that's what we wanted to do. So, mm. you've only got to look at the uh, gigography. I mean, so we we never stopped. It's right. just give us a gig every night, please. We don't yeah. want to go home, and that's what we did. Loved it. So we'd been out forever, and then and we were just sort of trailing around America, doing gig after gig after gig. And you know, it's like on a tour bus. You know, you sort of 
get to bed if you do at six in the morning and you're up at eight. Like, we're there yet? No. So you're back in the <laughs> in the back lounge, bottle of beer, and Nola just be like, have I played you this one yet? And we're like, well, what is it? And he's like, I'll play you. Just sat in the lounge, you know, so if you're a bit fragile anyway, you know, he's sort of been on the road for ages. And he, he sat and he played Champagne Supernova on the wow. acoustic guitar. And that's the first time the world had heard it. We were the first ones in the world to hear that song. In that, yes. and, and in that form, at that moment, in that sort of fragile state we were in anyway, it wasn't, I wasn't going to turn around and go, you never wrote that. You know, because by then I knew he'd wrote it. Yeah. You know, the minute he opened his mouth and started strumming it, I knew he'd wrote it. He was playing this new song. I just burst into tears. I was like, you know, bottom lip going. It's like, <laughs> everyone was looking at me, you dick, what are you crying for? You know, I was just like, oh, God, it's just too much. It's beautiful. Oh. You know, I was off back to bed. They always carry me back to my bunk. You know, it's Jib- like, wreck. get to bed, bone. I'd have another lager. You'd be like, but no, <laughs> lots of moments like that. You know, the, the majority of the time when we'd get a new song, it, it we wouldn't sit in a room with Noel as he was writing them. He'd, he'd write them in a hotel room maybe one night and then the next day in soundcheck, he'd go, right, I did one last night. And it, it was pretty constant. You'd yeah. get to a sound soundcheck next day. Liam never did soundcheck, so that was a great time for Noel to introduce us to this new song. And what do you think? You know, I did this one last night in a hotel room. What do you think? So it was it was constant. It was every other day. You'd go, right, I did another one last night. And it just, you'd be like, wow, wow. Mm. You know, and especially in a soundcheck, you'd be hearing it through a PA with him with a stack of amps plugged in. you just sit on the floor and listen like oh god before yeah. anybody else yeah, in the incredible. world yeah incredible yeah 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 and what were the moments then or what was there a moment back then where you you, you just realised that nothing in your life was ever going to be the same because you just sat on top of this magical machine that suddenly became overground didn't it, it, it it's weird because it, it, it was all Oasis was almost almost when you look back at it and you look what we did and what we achieved in so little time you know and I think it took me a long time to realise it and it really took me until sort of last year when the film Supersonic come out and Liam too you know we, we sat and watched private screening and that when they've done the final edits and we had a little cinema in London uh, Crater Lager and we just sat there and they pressed play on this film and we just looked at each other after it and just went Jesus Christ it's like wow you mm-hmm. know but it took a long time to sort of really sink into me how big we were becoming because we were so full on, you know, we we, we we didn't release definitely maybe and say, right, okay, we're going to have two months off while you all go home and take stock mm-hmm. and have a look around you and go meet the people on the street and sort of discover how big you are getting. We we were just like, all right, blah, blah, blah. We, we, didn't, know how, we didn't know what we were generating in England because we were in Japan and we'd be in South America, we'd be in America. Then we'd be in Europe. Then you get back to England months later and it'd just be like, you couldn't walk the street because everyone would just be like, wow, bonehead, you know. Every shop had one of your tunes playing. And it was pretty, it's pretty wild, really. Yeah. And for you personally, I mean, being the guitarist in probably the most important British band since the Sex Pistols, in terms of the repercussions of what you created, how did that feel for you? Because you've always been quite an humble, modest chap. How mm. did you feel being the new god of guitar? <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish. Lamar. But you were. I mean, you, you might not have felt yeah. that technically, but in, in terms no, of technically, what you technically stood for, not no. But I think as a rhythm guitarist, I, I always used to say it to him. I was like. Ah. I'll do the rhythm, mate. You know, he'd say, look, I'm doing these bits. You just do the bar chords, do the things. And no one could do them bar chords or that rhythm better than me. And I'll stand to that at all. But how did I feel? When you say I'm a humble guy, I think I still am. You know, I don't, I never sit and dwell and think, you know what? Check me out. I'm that guy. I'm still pretty disbelieving of it all. But again, me, Griggs, Tony McCarroll, you know, and Alan White, when Alan came in, we could kind of sort of 
fiddle into the background. We could sort of, you know, if you're out on tour, you could jump out of the hotel and go in the pub next door. Liam and Noel couldn't. It, they, they really were the face and they Absolutely. were Oasis, you know. So yeah. you, the, that question really would be more directed at Liam or Noel. You know, yeah. we, 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 we could take a back seat in that sense. You exactly, in every way, the same person that you were back then. It's like the... The success, the fame, the celebrity has just not affected you whatsoever. You still, you know, you're still that same working class, it, humble well, fella. Yeah, it, it changes you, and you'd be a liar to say it doesn't change you. It does. It's because of the trappings that come with it, or just the the, the recognition that you get with being that. But yeah, I am the same person. I am, and I think you could say the same for Liam. Mm. You know, you look at Liam. He texted me this morning. I texted him. You know, he's how do you start a log burner? It's like. We both got log burners now. You see, we yeah. got, we're on it. How time to Mine, change? Mine's bigger than this, so it's better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's just like I sent him a video of mine going. And he's like, oh, "It's fucking great." Art. He's like, "Look at it, it's blazing." He says, "It's dead relaxing." He says, "And then he texted me this morning. He says, "Mine's rubbish. It doesn't work." <laughs> so I was like, "Why?" He, he says, "Well, I put some paper in and I threw the logs on it. It just went out." And I was like, kindling, yeah, kindling, mate, yeah, yeah. kindling. Any kindling? He's, he's like kindling. They're thinking for man, Kinder eggs or something. So <laughs> he's, what he says, I said, you got, you got, you bit of paper or get a little fire starter. I sent him yeah. a, sent him a little gif of um, the prodigy, you know, fire starter, <laughs> just to wind him up and confuse him. I was like, no, you need kindling. Get a little fire starter or, or paper. Bit of kindling. Get them rocking. You got to get them going. Let them go till they're blazing. Then put your logs on. You'll be right. You know. So he's not changed. Mm. It's, it's different than 1995 this conversation still can't light a fire the conversation I mean, is brilliant isn't it? so got 1999 you chose to leave Oasis yes what was uh, what was on your mind when you did that I didn't wake up and go you know I'm leaving today that's it I've had enough you know mm. it, that, 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 that was a major major decision and it's not a, you know it's such a, a huge decision it's a decision on the scale of I wouldn't like to have to make again in my life you know what I mean because you wouldn't, you know. And when I left, there was people like, oh, fucking, I'd chop my arm off, you know, to, to be in that band. Why have you left? And it's like, well, you know. But I left because when we started that band, and it wasn't the reasons we started it. It's just when we started that band, the whole feeling, it, we, we were a gang, you know. It's like we were real, we were just a bunch of mates, bunch of lads, you know. And, and, and we did take the world by storm, you know. It's like, of course we did. And, and we became massive. But we had fun doing it, you know. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a job. Mm. It, that's what we set out to do, and it went above and beyond what we set out to do. You know, we could never have predicted where we were going to go. You know, we we knew we had something at the beginning, and we knew that it reached people, and we knew people would get it. But we had fun doing it, mm. and every day was just it was a joy to go in. You know, it wasn't work, but it just got to a point for me. And I think you know, hindsight's a great thing in it. I, I've always said. If, and when we did Nebworth, you know, it's like this huge thing, quarter of a million people over two nights. We could have sold that out, you know, to seven million people if we wanted. We really should have sat down with the management and said, you know what, let's take six months off now. Mm. We've achieved it and more. Let's take a year off. Let's just go on, go, you know, do your thing, be yourselves, and we'll meet up again in a year and we'll carry on. Maybe I'd have still been in that band, but we didn't, you know, and, and like I say, hand, hindsight's a great thing, but we... We we chored on after Nebworth and we did whatever. So by the time we come to do standing on the shoulder of giants, everyone was worn out. And <clears throat> it, it's how you, you know, like I say, you get people going worn out. Poof, you know, I'd, I'd do that easy. We worked and we grafted it. You know, it was yeah. you know there was no home life. There was no nothing. You were a father at this point. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you know your, your daughter's <laughs> two days old and you go on tour for six months. You don't see mm. her, but you do it. It's like yeah, because this, this is what you do. And it did reach a point 
it wasn't fun. No one was coming in smiling. People had maybe personal things going on in lives. You know, I, I really wanted to spend a bit of time with my family, watch them growing up. Liam had personal problems. You know, maybe, I don't know, Noel had problems. You know, aside from the band, everyone had their own little thing they had to deal with, but no time to deal with it, which sort of made for an atmosphere that wasn't fun anymore. And I really, that's not why I was in that band. You know, I was in that band because I believed in it, because yeah. I loved it. I loved it more than anyone could, you know, and I, I was passionate about it. I still am passionate about that band, you know, never lost my love for it. But I was going in and when I come through the album, it, it, it kind of felt, I, I got this feeling that I'd never experienced before being in that band. And that feeling was like, you know, it's like going into work to a job that you're not enjoying. You know, mm -hmm. it's not fun. And that gang weren't there anymore. You know, we weren't together. I, you know, and I was sat in the control room doing guitars with the producer. And Noel was downstairs in the kitchen, not even listening. And Liam was off doing wherever. And it wasn't because they weren't asked what I was doing. It's just, they were just like, you know what, just do mm. your bit. It wasn't fun. And I think that just, it hit me. It reached a point. And I just thought, you know what, I could carry on. Mm. I could. And I could say nothing to the band. So I'd be lying to the band and I could get on and do this world tour for 18 months and promote this album. <laughs> in, which, in which case I'd be lying to the band. Not good. I'd be lying to the fans and when I'm up on stage, you know, doing the things, hitting it out, they're all there paying the money and watching me, not knowing I'm thinking, you know, this is a bag of crap, I shouldn't be up here, mm. hate it, but, you know, the money's rolling in. So you did the right so thing. So I'm not going to lie to them and I just thought, you know, I've got to be truthful and I think that's just me and my nature. I thought, I can't lie and if I did do it and I lied, I wouldn't be giving 100% and that's one thing you cannot do in that band. You cannot be in a band like Oasis or any band, any, for that matter, and not give 100%, not give your all... The funny thing is, like twenty, nearly twenty years later, now you, you're closer to Liam than you've ever been. He's probably your best mate, isn't he? Yeah, you know, I speak to Liam every day. You know, it's every day without fail, really. Yeah. On to him this morning, and be on to him tomorrow morning. You know, always, really, really, really close to Liam. Mm. I don't see him every day. You know, I see him when I've been playing a lot with him last year. I see him then. He lives in London. I live in Manchester, so it's not as if we knock on with each other. Yeah, I love him to bits. So I think yeah. I am. A lot closer, you know, yeah, yeah. When you wake up in the morning, you go down into your kitchen and um, your beautiful kitchen, I must say, in your beautiful house, and you're making a cup of tea looking out your kitchen window. Do you ever wish you were back in that moment with that, that band as they were at the peak, 95, 96, 97? No, I don't, I've never had enough of it. I've never looked back and thought, oh, you know what, I wish we was still in that. It was weird. When I left Oasis, it, it probably took me two years to come down of it and sort of discover the real me again, you know. It's like, <coughs> and just do everyday things, you know, without having to ring the management and say, oh, sort that out, get me a car, do that, do that, you know, what, do that. It was very weird when Gem and Andy joined, you know, and I, there, was a, there was a time when no one knew who was going to replace me or Griggs because they'd left. And I was like, oh my God, and Johnny Marr actually rang me at home one day. He's like, Bonnet, you've heard the rumours. And I was like, yeah. He said, I'm not joining, honestly, I'm not, I'm, I'd never take your place. I've got, you know, and I was like, I know, I know, I know. And it was like, <laughs> who's going to join, you know, Johnny Marr ringing me. It's like, do it, you'll be great with Johnny Marr's took my place. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, it was Gem and Andy, which was brilliant because I knew them both and I love them both, you know, I still do. They're great. It's like, could be none better as people and musicians to sort mm. of take our places. But I never regretted it. That was weird. I went to see them in Birmingham, maybe 2001, 2002, maybe the arena there which was which was brilliant because it was me sat watching an Oasis gig which I always wanted to do for the first time ever yeah, yeah. out in the crowd it was like wow yeah so I sat in the seats watching that which was great but that was really really weird and the, the, there was almost a moment of regret like shit that should have been me I should be still up there 
Then it's like, oh no, <laughs> too late, too late. <laughs> now. I'm waving my little flag. No, no, I'm here. There was never a regret. No, no. Let's talk about Manchester a little bit. The first two Oasis albums, to me, definitely maybe in uh, Morning Glory, they, they sort of just saturated with the vibe of Manchester. It doesn't refer to Manchester. He's not singing no. about Fallowfield or whatever. But um, it's. Do, do you think they're two beautiful Manchester albums when you look back? Could any other city have made albums like that? Probably not. I don't, no, no. Could, could, could any city have made two albums like that? Those songs then were just you know, rock and roll star, you know. I live my life in the city and, you know, there's no easy way out and, you know, six and alcohol, all I need is cigarettes and alcohol, blah, blah, blah. I think everybody, even me included, could really, really relate so much to the words and the music that, that was sort of behind those words. We, we, I could, not. I, we know, it's a fact, everybody else could relate to that, you know, it inspired, yeah. inspired a lot of people to maybe just get up and dance or get up and pick up a guitar or just get up. When you couple that songwriting up, and that, that mood, that essence in his songs, when you couple that with the front man who is total mind, the way he walks, the way he talks, the way he sings. Yeah, and I mean... The old look of the band and the, even the, the way the music was like, nothing, nobody had ever made music that loud. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could have looked at him and went, are they from Birmingham then? Like, if someone said they're from Birmingham or Oxford, you'd be like, they don't look it, do they? We're like from Manchester, surely. Do you think Manchester people in general have a unique sort of spirit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. certainly, certainly different. And can you define it? Can you say what what it is? I don't know. I'm I'm really bad for that. Some people are great <coughs> at, at doing that and doing a definition of Manchester and its people. You know, and they can sort of describe it. I don't know. I, all I can say is it, it, it's a definite Manchester trait, isn't it? And I suppose without somebody opening the mouth, if you if you sort of observe, you know, you can observe people somewhere. You can be maybe in another country, and you look at them. You watch the way they walk. You look at the way they talk to other people, or the way they are with each other. Mm. And I think it's always quite obvious to me. It's like you you just know. You go, they're from Manchester. You just know. Yeah. You know, they've got this this sort of look. It's it's, it's self confidence. It's a I mean, little, there's loads of confidence. A little bit of arrogance, but there's a lot of humility with it as well. I think at yeah. the same time, and you've never shown any desire to move away still very firmly rooted here. no no almost I'd, I'd, I'd never move out of Manchester that's one thing I wouldn't do I almost did because we when when the band sort of started to really kick off Noel went straight away I mean Noel needed to go anyway because uh, he, he was sort of I think he was splitting up with his girlfriend or whatever in Manchester and uh, obviously our offices and manage, management offices were based in London and it, it kind of made sense for and the record company was in London it made sense for Noel he's just like you know I've got to, I've got to get up and get out of this relationship whatever made sense for him to move off that of London and you know he never looked back and <coughs> we were all just like whoa Turnco what are you doing whoa no way you never, we would never move out of Manchester it was all that and then Liam married Patsy and he moved out of London Griggs moved out of London but so I just thought you know would it make sense if I moved to London all the band are down there now it's my mates you know and mm. The offices are down there, the record company's there, maybe I should. So I did actually go and view a house once mm. up near Griggs's. So that's sort of like up north, sort of Mill Hill. So it's just on the outskirts of London. And, you know, I got off the train and got a cab up to view this house. And the minute I got off the train at Euston, it was just like, nah, I can't do this. I, I can't live here. And it's not that I don't like London, though. It's not that I don't, you know, I think it's a great city because it is. But I couldn't, I, I just couldn't be drawn out of Manchester, there's no way. And, and that's what happened with the band as well, you know, they moved to London, we'd get off a six-month tour and we'd have three days off before we went back on tour. 
I could get off the plane at Manchester Airport and go and put my feet up for three days and that'd be it. But the rest of the band, it was like the minute they got in, the phone would ring it, like, oh, management, can you just nip down to the office? We need you to do this. We've got to meet you. They, they were never out of there. It was like, so it's a little a little bolt hole as and well. a proper intense time of your life in terms of the pressure that was Mental. on your shoulders. Mental. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. So back to Manchester, do you like the way it's developed uh, architecturally over the last 20 or 30 years? I was just thinking that, driving in then, um, <clears throat> up past the boardwalk, you know, it's coming in from Princess Parkway. It's starting to, it's getting a bit of a New York skyline going on, isn't it? You know, it's like skyscrapers. I love it. I think it's great. It's like, And it's changing massively, you know. It's mm. like, wow. It's changing, wasn't it? Is it changing for the good, you know? Kind of just... Uh, First person I saw was John Robb jumping into Deansgate Station. So some things don't change. You know? <laughs> He's always been, every time you go to town, see John Robb, don't you? But what I do notice is homelessness. It's like that's a massive thing that I see now. That like where where's that come from? Why is that happening? Mm. It's one of the things that would be great to see how that develops over the uh, next couple of years. Andy Burnham's made a real point of trying to. Uh, get rid of homelessness altogether in Manchester and uh, mm. going off some of the amazing things we've done over the years. Hopefully, we can see that done uh, in our yeah. in our lifetime. Eh, Bonehead. Yeah. If I was to say to you, who are your favourite humans of Manchester, past or present, who would be on that list? John Rob. <laughs> no, but John Rob would probably be up there, you know, because I saw him today. And I was like, that's John Rob, and he used to see him on his bike. Yeah. He used to ride his bike about. He'd be bombing up and down Whitworth Street, and I was like the early eighties. Yeah. So that's John Rob. Because you'd see him for miles away, you knew it was him. But who else? I've got, I've got to say Liam Gallagher, haven't I? You know, and not because he's my mate and not because I was in a band with him and not because I told him I'd light a log burner this morning. It's because, you know, I've got to say Liam Gallagher because it's, there's, there's none of a like him. And, you know, so there's people hate him, I'm sure. Mm. You know, you well, because it, they don't know him. They don't know him. No, you've got to know him. But he's, how many people has he inspired, you know? To wear, you know, not not just to dress like him or cut their hair like him. It inspired them to think, you know, if he can do it, then I can do it. Believe. Whatever that may be, yeah, believes probably mm. were. So Liam's right up there. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's probably you know, and, and the next person I say it's probably like, oh yeah, I knew you were going to say that, but of course it's Tony Wilson. Yeah, you know, what a massive banner he was. What's the word I'm looking for for Manchester? You know. Incredible. Uh, not just an inspiration beyond that, just uh, in terms of what he did. The, you know, we've talked about a lot of things in this interview mm. that he was a big part of, including the architecture and the, yeah. the, the yeah. development Massive. of the city and the fact that you still live here. Yeah. A lot of yeah. musicians do still live here yeah. uh, because Tony stayed here and, you know, that inspired a lot of us. He did, but I mean, the, I mean, I, I always looked towards Tony Wilson for those reasons, but then there was one thing I, that a few years back after I'd left Oasis, I did, and it was just before. Tony died. Um, I did the radio show on BBC Radio Manchester, and with Natalie and Michelle, who still do Manchester music, you know, they do yeah. on Saturday nights. <coughs> I co hosted that with them, and we were doing a special one night because it was the whatever anniversary of the Hacienda. I'll tell you what, I'll get, I'll get in touch with Tony Wilson and see if he'll do a phone. And he was really quite ill at the time. Mm. So, of course, he said, Yeah, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it, Bonehead. You know, I'll, I'll, what time? I said, like, Well, I think we're on air at nine o'clock. He says, Right, well, give me a call beforehand and uh, we'll sort it out and I'll, I'll, I'll do a phone and I was like oh, brilliant so it got to like five past nine and I called him and he was like yeah right okay well how long have we got and I said well it's going to be like five minutes I've got to do this little advert and a little lead into it and uh, then we'll get you on we'll play a track I think it was uh, Voodoo Ray mm. I said and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll get you in he said alright cool I'm there so we did the advert or whatever it was and we did Voodoo Ray or whatever we played 
and it's like, right, okay, Tony, you're there. And he just went, yeah. And we turned around and he, he was in the studio. Oh, amazing. It, his wife had drove him down. He's like, I'm not going to do the phone. I'm going to get in there. And he walked in with a walking stick. He opened the door. We just nearly fell off the chairs. It's like, wow. You know, and he was so ill. He's definitely, he's definitely top yeah. of my list. My yeah, list yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big day. L.S. Lowry. There's another one. Yeah. I like amazing. his pictures. Uh, one more question then before we uh, finish this. Uh, describe Manchester in three words, Bornhead. My kind of town. There you go, that was Paul Arthurs. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be talking to the star of such iconic British TV shows as The Fast Show, Men Behaving Badly and Cold Feet, Mr John Thompson. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Humans Excess and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Feel free to leave us a comment or a review when you're on there. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.